Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Chapter 5. Incident of the Letter. It was late in the afternoon when Mr. Utterson found his way to Dr. Jekyll's door, where he was at once admitted by Poole and carried down by the kitchen offices and across the yard, which had once been a garden, to the building which was indifferently known as the laboratory or dissecting rooms. The doctor had bought the house from the heirs of a celebrated surgeon, and his own taste being rather chemical than anatomical had changed the destination of the block at the bottom of the garden— it was the first time that the lawyer had been received in that part of his friend's quarters, and he eyed the dingy, windowless structure with curiosity and gazed round with a distasteful sense of strangeness as he crossed the theater, once crowded with eager students and now lying gaunt and silent, the tables laden with chemical apparatus, the floor strewn with crates and littered with packing straw, and the light falling dimly through the foggy cupola. At the further end, a flight of stairs mounted to a door covered with red bays, and through this, Mr. Utterson was at last received into the doctor's cabinet. It was a large room, fitted round with glass presses, furnished, among other things, with a cheval glass and a business table, and looking out upon the court by three dusty windows barred with iron. The fire burned in the grate, a lamp was set lighted on the chimney shelf, for even in the houses the fog began to lie thickly. And there, close up to the warmth, sat Dr. Jekyll, looking deathly sick. He did not rise to meet his visitor, but held out a cold hand and bade him welcome in a changed voice. "'And now,' said Mr. Utterson, as soon as Poole had left them, "'you have heard the news.' The doctor shuddered. They were crying it in the square, he said. I heard them in my dining room. One word, said the lawyer. Carew was my client, but so are you, and I want to know what I am doing. You have not been mad enough to hide this fellow. Utterson, I swear to God, cried the doctor, I swear to God I will never set eyes on him again. I bind my honor to you that I am done with him in this world. It is all at an end. And indeed, he does not want my help. You do not know him as I do. He is safe. He is quite safe, mark my words. He will never more be heard of. The lawyer listened gloomily. He did not like his friend's feverish manner. You seem pretty sure of him, said he. And for your sake, I hope you may be right. If it came to a trial, your name might appear. I am quite sure of him, replied Jekyll. I have grounds for certainty that I cannot share with anyone, but there is one thing on which you may advise me. 
I have... I have received a letter, and I am at a loss whether I should show it to the police. I should like to leave it in your hands, Utterson. You would judge wisely, I am sure. I have so great a trust in you. You fear, I suppose, that it might lead to his detection, asked the lawyer. No, said the other. I cannot say that I care what becomes of Hyde. I am quite done with him. I was thinking of my own character, which this hateful business has rather exposed. Utterson ruminated a while. He was surprised at his friend's selfishness, and yet relieved by it. Well, said he at last, let me see the letter. The letter was written in an odd, upright hand and signed Edward Hyde, and it signified, briefly enough, that the writer's benefactor, Dr. Jekyll, whom he had long so unworthily repaid for a thousand generosities, need labor under no alarm for his safety, as he had means of escape on which he placed a sure dependence. The lawyer liked this letter well enough. It put a better color on the intimacy than he had looked for, and he blamed himself for some of his past suspicions. "'Have you the envelope?' he asked. I burned it, replied Jekyll, before I thought what I was about. But it bore no postmark. The note was handed in. Shall I keep this and sleep upon it? asked Utterson. I wish you to judge for me entirely, was the reply. I have lost confidence in myself. Well, I shall consider, returned the lawyer. And now one word more. It was Hyde who dictated the terms in your will about that disappearance. The doctor seemed seized with a qualm of faintness. He shut his mouth tight and nodded. I knew it, said Utterson. He meant to murder you. You had a fine escape. I have had what is far more to the purpose, returned the doctor solemnly. I have had a lesson. Oh, God, Utterson, what a lesson I have had. Then he covered his face for a moment with his hands. On his way out, the lawyer stopped and had a word or two with Poole. By the by, said he, there was a letter handed in today. What was the messenger like? But Poole was positive nothing had come except by post, and only circulars by that, he added. This news sent off the visitor with his fears renewed. Plainly, the letter had come by the laboratory door. Possibly, indeed, it had been written in the cabinet. And if that were so, it must be differently judged and handled with the more caution. The newsboys, as he went, were crying themselves hoarse along the footways. Special edition, shocking murder of an MP. That was the funeral oration of one friend and client, and he could not help of a certain apprehension lest the good name of another should be sucked down in the eddy of the scandal. It was, at least, a ticklish decision that he had to make, and self-reliant as he was by habit, he began to cherish a longing for advice. It was not to be had directly, but perhaps, he thought, it might be fished for. Presently after, he sat on one side of his own hearth with Mr. Guest, his head clerk upon the other, and midway between, at a nicely calculated distance from the fire, a bottle of a particular old wine that had long dwelt unsunned in the foundations of his house. 
The fog still slept on the wing above the drowned city, where the lamps glimmered like carbuncles. And through the muffle and smother of these fallen clouds, the procession of the town's life was still rolling in through the great arteries with a sound as of a mighty wind. But the room was gay with firelight. In the bottle, the acids were long ago resolved. The imperial dye had softened with time as the color grows richer in stained windows and the glow of hot autumn afternoons on hillside vineyards was ready to be set free and to disperse the fogs of London. Insensibly, the lawyer melted. There was no man from whom he kept fewer secrets than Mr. Guest, and he was not always sure that he kept as many as he meant. Guest had often been on business to the doctors. He knew Poole. He could scarce have failed to hear of Mr. Hyde's familiarity about the house. He might draw conclusions— Was it not as well, then, that he should see a letter which put that mystery to right? And above all, since Guest, being a great student and critic of handwriting, would consider the step natural and obliging. The clerk, besides, was a man of counsel. He could scarce read so strange a document without dropping a remark, and by that remark Mr. Utterson might shape his future course. "'This is a sad business about Sir Danvers,' he said." "'Yes, sir, indeed. It has elicited a great deal of public feeling,' returned Guest. "'The man, of course, was mad.' "'I should like to hear your views on that,' replied Utterson. "'I have a document here in his handwriting. It is between ourselves, for I scarce know what to do about it. It is an ugly business at the best. But there it is, quite in your way, a murderer's autograph.' Guess's eyes brightened, and he sat down at once and studied it with passion. No, sir, he said, not mad, but it is an odd hand. And by all accounts a very odd writer, added the lawyer. Just then the servant entered with a note. Is that from Dr. Jekyll, sir? inquired the clerk. I thought I knew the writing. Anything private, Mr. Utterson? "'Only an invitation to dinner. "'Why, do you want to see it?' "'One moment, I thank you, sir.' "'And the clerk laid the two sheets of paper alongside "'and compared their contents. "'Thank you, sir,' he said at last, returning both. "'It's a very interesting autograph.' "'There was a pause, "'during which Mr. Utterson struggled with himself. "'Why did you compare them, guest?' "'he inquired suddenly. "'Well, sir,' returned the clerk, "'there's a rather singular resemblance. "'The two hands are in many points identical, "'only differently sloped.' "'Rather quaint,' said Utterson. "'It is, as you say, rather quaint,' returned Guest. "'I wouldn't speak of this note, you know,' said the master. "'No, sir,' said the clerk, "'I understand.' But no sooner was Mr. Utterson alone that night than he locked the note into a safe where it reposed from that time forward. What, he thought? Henry Jekyll forged for a murderer, and his blood ran cold in his veins. Chapter 6 Incident of Dr. Lanyon 
time ran on, thousands of pounds were offered in reward, for the death of Sir Danvers was resented as a public injury. But Mr. Hyde had disappeared out of the ken of the police as though he had never existed. Much of his past was unearthed, indeed, and all disreputable. Tales came out of the man's cruelty, at once so callous and violent, of his vile life, of his strange associates, of the hatred that seemed to have surrounded his career. But of his present whereabouts, not a whisper. From the time he had left the house in Soho on the morning of the murder, he was simply blotted out. And gradually, as time drew on, Mr. Utterson began to recover from the hotness of his alarm and to grow more quiet with himself. The death of Sir Danvers was, to his way of thinking, more than paid for by the disappearance of Mr. Hyde. Now that that evil influence had been withdrawn, a new life began for Dr. Jekyll. He came out of his seclusion, renewed relations with his friends, became once more their familiar guest and entertainer, and whilst he had always been known for charities, he was now no less distinguished for religion. He was busy, he was much in the open air, he did good, his face seemed to open and brighten, as if with an inward consciousness of service, and for more than two months the doctor was at peace. On the 8th of January, Utterson had dined at the doctor's with a small party, Lanyon had been there, and the face of the host had looked from one to the other, as in the old days when the trio were inseparable friends. On the 12th, and again on the 14th, the door was shut against the lawyer. The doctor was confined to the house, Poole said, and saw no one. On the 15th, he tried again and was again refused. And having now been used for the last two months to see his friend almost daily— he found this return of solitude to weigh upon his spirits. The fifth night he had in guests to dine with him, and the sixth he betook himself to Dr. Lanyon's. There, at least, he was not denied admittance. But when he came in, he was shocked at the change which had taken place in the doctor's appearance. He had his death warrant written legibly upon his face. The rosy man had grown pale, his flesh had fallen away, he was visibly balder and older. And yet, it was not so much these tokens of a swift, physical decay that arrested the lawyer's notice, as a look in the eye and the quality of manner that seemed to testify to some deep-seated terror of the mind. It was unlikely that the doctor should fear death, and yet that was what Utterson was tempted to suspect. Yes, he thought, he is a doctor, he must know his own state and that his days are counted, and the knowledge is more than he can bear. And yet, when Utterson remarked on his ill looks, it was with an air of great firmness that Lanyon declared himself a doomed man. I have had a shock, he said, and I shall never recover. It is a question of weeks. Well, life has been pleasant. I liked it. Yes, sir, I used to like it. I sometimes think if we knew all, we should be more glad to get away. Jekyll is ill, too, observed Utterson. Have you seen him? But Lanyon's face changed, and he held up a trembling hand. I wish to see or hear no more of Dr. Jekyll, he said in a loud, unsteady voice. 
I am quite done with that person, and I beg that you will spare me any allusion to one whom I regard as dead. Tut, tut, said Mr. Utterson, and then after a considerable pause, Can I do anything? he inquired. We are three very old friends, Lanyon. We shall not live to make others. Nothing can be done, returned Lanyon. Ask himself. He will not see me, said the lawyer. I am not surprised at that, was the reply. Some day, Utterson, after I am dead, you may perhaps come to learn the right and wrong of this. I cannot tell you. And in the meantime, if you can sit and talk with me of other things, for God's sake, stay and do so. But if you cannot keep clear of this accursed topic, then in God's name go, for I cannot bear it. As soon as he got home, Utterson sat down and wrote to Jekyll, complaining of his exclusion from the house and asking the cause of this unhappy break with Lanyon. And the very next day brought him a long answer, often very pathetically worded and sometimes darkly mysterious in drift. The quarrel with Lanyon was incurable. I do not blame our old friend, Jekyll wrote, but I share his view that we must never meet. I mean from henceforth to lead a life of extreme seclusion. You must not be surprised, nor must you doubt my friendship, if my door is often shut even to you. You must suffer me to go my own dark way. I have brought on myself a punishment and a danger that I cannot name. If I am the chief of sinners, I am the chief of sufferers also. I could not think that this earth contained a place for sufferings and terrors so unmanning. And you can do but one thing, Utterson, to lighten this destiny, and that is to respect my silence. Utterson was amazed. The dark influence of Hyde had been withdrawn. The doctor had returned to his old tasks and amities. A week ago, the prospect had smiled with every promise of a cheerful and an honored age. And now in a moment, friendship and peace of mind and the whole tenor of his life were wrecked. So great and unprepared a change pointed to madness. But in view of Lanyon's manner and words, there must lie for it some deeper ground. A week afterwards, Dr. Lanyon took to his bed, and in something less than a fortnight, he was dead. The night after the funeral, at which he had been sadly affected, Utterson locked the door of his business room, and sitting there by the light of a melancholy candle, drew out and set before him an envelope addressed by the hand and sealed with the seal of his dead friend. Private, for the hands of J.G. Utterson alone, and in case of his predecease, to be destroyed unread. So it was emphatically superscribed, and the lawyer dreaded to behold the contents. I have buried one friend today, he thought. What if this should cost me another? And then he condemned the fear as a disloyalty and broke the seal. Within, there was another enclosure, likewise sealed, and marked upon the cover as not to be opened till the death or disappearance of Dr. Henry Jekyll. Utterson could not trust his eyes. Yes, it was disappearance, here again, as in the mad will which he had so long ago restored to its author. Here again were the idea of a disappearance and the name of Henry Jekyll bracketed. But in the will, 
That idea had sprung from the sinister suggestion of the man Hyde. It was set there with a purpose all too plain and horrible. Written by the hand of Lanyon, what should it mean? A great curiosity came on the trustee to disregard the prohibition and dive at once to the bottom of these mysteries. But professional honor and faith to his dead friend were stringent obligations, and the packet slept in the inmost corner of his private safe. It is one thing to mortify curiosity, another to conquer it. And it may be doubted if, from that day forth, Utterson desired the society of his surviving friend with the same eagerness. He thought of him kindly, but his thoughts were disquieted and fearful. He went to call indeed, but he was perhaps relieved to be denied admittance. Perhaps in his heart he preferred to speak with Poole upon the doorstep, and surrounded by the air and sounds of the open city, rather than to be admitted into that house of voluntary bondage, and to sit and speak with its inscrutable recluse. Poole had, indeed, no very pleasant news to communicate. The doctor, it appeared, now more than ever, confined himself to the cabinet over the laboratory, where he would sometimes even sleep. He was out of spirits. He had grown very silent. He did not read. It seemed as if he had something on his mind. Utterson became so used to the unvarying character of these reports that he fell off little by little in the frequency of his visits. Chapter 7 Incident at the Window It chanced on Sunday, when Mr. Utterson was on his usual walk with Mr. Enfield, that their way lay once again through the by-street, and that when they came in front of the door, both stopped to gaze on it. "'Well,' said Enfield, "'that story's at an end, at least. "'We shall never see more of Mr. Hyde.' "'I hope not,' said Utterson. "'Did I ever tell you that I once saw him "'and shared your feeling of repulsion?' "'It was impossible to do the one without the other,' "'returned Enfield. "'And, by the way, what an ass you must have thought me, "'not to know that this was a back way to Dr. Jekyll's. "'It was partly your own fault that I found it out.' even when I did. "'So you found it out, did you?' said Utterson. "'But if that be so, we may step into the court and take a look at the windows. "'To tell you the truth, I am uneasy about poor Jekyll, "'and even outside I feel as if the presence of a friend might do him good.' "'The court was very cool and a little damp and full of premature twilight, "'although the sky, high up overhead, was still bright with sunset.' The middle one of the three windows was halfway open, and sitting close beside it, taking the air with an infinite sadness of mien, like some disconsolate prisoner, Utterson saw Dr. Jekyll. "'What, Jekyll?' he cried. "'I trust you are better.' "'I am very low, Utterson,' replied the doctor drearily. "'Very low. It will not last long, thank God.' "'You stay too much indoors,' said the lawyer. "'You should be out, whipping up the circulation like Mr. Enfield and me. "'This is my cousin, Mr. Enfield, Dr. Jekyll. "'Come now, get your hat and take a quick turn with us.' "'You are very good,' sighed the other. "'I should like to very much, but no, 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 it is quite impossible. "'I dare not.' 
"'But indeed, Utterson, I am very glad to see you. "'This is really a great pleasure. "'I would ask you and Mr. Enfield up, "'but the place is really not fit.' "'Why, then,' said the lawyer good-naturedly, "'the best thing we can do is to stay down here "'and speak with you from where we are.' "'That is just what I was about to venture to propose,' "'returned the doctor with a smile.' But the words were hardly uttered before the smile was struck out of his face and succeeded by an expression of such abject terror and despair as froze the very blood of the two gentlemen below. They saw it but for a glimpse, for the window was instantly thrust down. But that glimpse had been sufficient, and they turned and left the court without a word. In silence, too, they traversed the by-street, and it was not until they had come into a neighboring thoroughfare, where even upon a Sunday there were still some stirrings of life, that Mr. Utterson at last turned and looked at his companion. They were both pale, and there was an answering horror in their eyes. "'God forgive us! God forgive us!' said Mr. Utterson. But Mr. Enfield only nodded his head very seriously, and walked on once more in silence." Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.